0: Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. The Gospel of John, chapter 9. As we continue to look through the signs that John records for us that point to the deity of Jesus Christ, really point to who he is and how he affects our lives. We've worked through these other signs and we've seen his power, we've seen his glory. And yet each one is distinct, each one is individual, each one carries with it this message of who Christ is. In John chapter 9, we see an event described that again shows us the power of Christ. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, Who sent, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with a clay. And he said to him, "'Go wash in the pool of Siloam,' which is translated, Sent." So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, "'Is not this he who sat and begged?' Some said, "'This is he.' Others said, "'Ah, he is like him.' He said, "'I am he.' Therefore they said to him, "'How are your eyes opened?' He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? But he said, I do not know. Now, we have just another day in the life of Jesus and the disciples. I mean, can you imagine what it must have been like just to walk daily with Christ and to hear his teaching and to see his power demonstrated? Here's just another day when Jesus is demonstrating once again his power and his identity to his disciples. And as he's walking by, he sees this blind man. And the disciples, they see this blind man that had been born since birth, or blind since birth. Perhaps, perhaps they had seen him before, perhaps somebody had told them of the story, but they knew that he had been blind since birth. And I want you to notice something. I think it's rather strange here. But instead of the man becoming an object of compassion, he actually becomes a theological case study. I want you to notice this. They're walking by, they see him, they know that he's been blind since birth, And the question comes, is this a result of his sin or his parents? Does that not seem strange to you just a little? Just a little strange that the question comes up about sin and the theological musings around sin. And isn't something rather strange here? I mean, if you were to see somebody that had been blind since birth, that was sitting there perhaps begging, perhaps just asking for something. When you were to see them, how many of us would come up with a theological question, especially one like this? Is this his fault or is it his parents' fault? I just have some kind of issue with that. I mean, reading through it and seeing it, I'm rather startled that this is the focus of the disciples. I mean, I'm all for theology. I'm all for trying to understand and teach, and I, I'm all for that. We should have a good theology. But there are moments when, instead of having a theological conversation, we should demonstrate compassion upon people. You agree with me? There are moments when it should call forth compassion from our hearts. And from our lives, I'm a little disturbed by the reaction of the disciples. But in any case, God uses their misguided question, and He demonstrates His glory. You see, here this question in itself demonstrates the popular theology of the Jewish day, that is, that if something is wrong with you, then obviously you have messed up. Obviously, there is some sin somewhere, some personal sin that accounts for this disaster that's come upon you or disease that's come upon you. If something has happened to you bad, it's because you did something bad. Now, certainly, there are moments where we face consequences for our bad results. Would you agree with me? Absolutely. Some of our parents remind us of consequences because of our bad behavior. Absolutely, that occurs. I say to you, if you drive 90 miles per hour through a red light, probably going to be consequences. If you live a life of alcoholism, probably going to be natural consequences. So there are moments when our behavior results in bad consequences. But notice here, This is not the case. They naturally assume that someone has sinned, that there is personal sin that accounts for the blindness. Reminds me, many ways, of Job and Job's friends. How would you love to have friends like Job? Wouldn't you? Some of you say, I've got some friends like Job. You remember all of this devastation comes upon Job's life? Faces loss after loss after loss. And three friends come to see Job. Well, in the beginning it seems to go well. I don't know if you've noticed this, but they actually sit there for seven days a week basically saying nothing. And silence can be golden. Especially when you have these kinds of friends. For seven days they're quiet. But then they turn their attention back to Job. And the conversation goes something like this. Now Job, we've known you for a long time. We know that you've been a good man, but somewhere along the line, you have done something. We don't know what it is, but Job, God wouldn't do this unless you had done something bad. In one part of the book of Job, they even say, you need to repent You need to to come clean, Job. If you just come clean, God will take care of you. Let me just say this to us. When we don't know what we're talking about, when we have no clue what God is up to, those are moments we should remain silent. It is okay to just confess we do not know. And instead of offering a theological framework for why this person is suffering, it's okay just to be there and to be by them and to encourage them. Here, these individuals, these disciples begin to ask questions. They're like Job's friends. They understand the popular Jewish theology of the day. Something must be wrong. And for a moment, could you put your, man, put your um, feet in the blind man's shoes? How many days did he hear whispers when people passed? He might not could see a look, but how many days could he feel the look of disappointment and question? How many days... Could he feel like he was marginalized from society because everybody around thought he had sinned, or at the very least, he was the son of sinners. So every day, perhaps as people tiptoed around him so that they wouldn't have to give the alms. He could hear the whispers, and he could feel the look. Marginalized by society, looked upon as nothing more than a wretch who had sinned, his parents had sinned, and he had gotten the just results of that sin. Look in verse 3. I love the way Jesus turns things on its head. Notice what he says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, Jesus was not saying that They didn't mess up in their life. He wasn't saying that. We know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying this specific condition, this blindness, is not related to their personal sin. But note that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus said, my father has a purpose for this man. My father has a reason for him to be there. Verse 3 here, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Any of you had Dr. Bain yet in Greek? Get ready, buddy. Get ready. Dr. Bain would remind you at this point that in that original language, you find a henna clause, which means purpose or result. Purpose. That this situation... This place is purposeful so that God himself could demonstrate his work in the life of the believers. Last week I said God sent us into storms. And there's so many of you that responded this week. So many of you responded through emails or notes or just conversations or text. I say to you that God can take any situation and he can bring glory He can bring purpose. And here he says, This has been accomplished so that the works of the Father, the works of God himself, will be demonstrated. There will be glory that will be seen. Again, how can this person experience sight? How can he experience healing if he had not been blind? How can we see the deliverance of God if we don't go through those difficult moments? And here... The blind man will receive sight. Notice verse 5. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He says, I am the light. Interesting in the timing of all of this. This passage, John nine, comes right between two feasts: the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Feast of Dedication. They're about to go into the Feast of Dedication, where, as most of us know it today, it's kind of like Hanukkah, where there will be the lighting of the candelabra and all of that. They're about to go into that moment where they will celebrate the rededication of the temple. and listen to what Jesus says in the midst of that, with that context. I am the light. The I am statement that reminds you of the deity and divinity of Christ. I am. I was walking around the church this week. And I noted it before, but I guess I had just simply placed it in the back of my mind. But walking around and seeing the beautiful stained glass windows, noting that each one of them stands for an I am statement. Here. Here. Jesus says, I am the light. I'm the true light. I'm the one that's come into the world, and I am the one that can give light and life to individuals. And he is about to demonstrate that now in the life of the blind man. It says in verse 6, again, that he spat on the ground, he made clay with this lava, and he anointed the slava, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam had been long associated with life and, and healing. And from the days of Hezekiah, when it, was, when it was built, when it was dug, this canal coming to the Siloam, it had always been synonymous with life. And he says, here, take this mud, which was basically a, a way of Bringing healing to certain people, certainly not a blind person like this, but they would use certain things. Uh, Even saliva, they thought, had a healing effect. Don't go around spitting on anybody because of that, okay? Doesn't excuse any of you children, by the way. I was just trying to heal my brother. I'm sorry, I was trying to heal him. No. But some people thought spittle had some type of um, healing aspect. So he used used, um, this uh, saliva, he used the mud, he used... The salam to bring healing. Now, I heard a preacher one time say this. Oh, Jesus was growing in his power, and that is the reason that he used such means. That is one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in my life, to say it bluntly. One of the most ridiculous statements. We've already seen Jesus heal. He can be miles away and speak and bring healing to a person's life. Jesus is not growing in power at this point. But it reminds me that Jesus can choose any method he, he determines best bring, to bring healing. He doesn't always heal in the same way. He doesn't always just speak. He doesn't always just touch. He does it in so many different ways. This was kind of a common method. A common method for some. But again, I say to you, to bring sight to a blind man, that was anything but common. Jesus can use any method to bring healing. So the blind man goes. He does as Jesus says. He goes to Siloam. He washes. He comes back what? Seeing seeing. Jesus now has brought sight to the physically blind man, to the physically blind man. He has brought sight. He has demonstrated himself as the light of the world. Verse 8, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen him, seen that he was blind, said, is not this the one who sat and begged, and some said this is he, others said, well, it's kind of like him, certainly. Uh, it's, it looks like him, but, I mean, he can see. That doesn't make sense. Verse 10, how were your eyes opened? And he said, a man called Jesus. A man called Jesus made some clay, told me to go wash It was a man called Jesus. Well, you can imagine the party that broke out. I mean, the celebration, the excitement that broke out. People celebrating. You you know what that would be like. Maybe you don't. You, you, You know what it would be like? That they would celebrate. They would rejoice in the blind man being able to see. Jesus had given sight to the physically blind. Not everybody was happy. We've seen this story before, and it just seems to keep going on and reoccurring. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Insert the Pharisees, and you begin to reduce joy always in a person's life. When you inject a Pharisee into a story, you can be ready to somehow dismiss joy from the story. Notice verse 14. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. It's as though John says, the issue now for the Pharisees will become the Sabbath. And the breaking of the Sabbath. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. And therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Begin to question this how in the world could god bring healing and and yet break the sabbath for you know the pharisees the religious leadership had added rule after rule for the sabbath day keeping we read some of those just a few weeks ago and it was so it was so strict there were so many things that were forbidden here jesus had made the mud and and yet In the process of that, he had broken the man-made law of of needing on the Sabbath. He healed an expenditure of energy, which was forbidden on the Sabbath. You know, in so many ways in Israel today, there is still that that, um, concern for the Sabbath. I remember being over there i was in jerusalem and we were there on the sabbath day and we were coming back in and i noticed that there were long lines on two of the elevators there was one that didn't have much of a line but two lines were very long there at the elevators so listen this guy this boy here grew up north mississippi he went to blue mountain college and was educated He knew better than the other folks that were standing in line. You were taught in North Mississippi, pick the shortest line. So I did. And it seemed that the elevator immediately opened just as though it was for me. I stepped upon on that elevator. Nobody saying a word to me. I was about the only one on it. And I went to push my button. As the doors closed, push my button. And it seemed like all of the buttons were lit up. At least mine wasn't working. And then I realized I stopped on the second floor. And then I was on the third floor. Then I was on the fourth, and nobody was getting on. I was so mad at these people for, like, pushing the button and just leaving. But we just stopped. I think I was on, like, the eighth or ninth floor, and I stopped on every floor. When I got to the eighth or ninth floor, I got off, and there were all these other people waiting on me like how did you get up well you took the sabbath elevator i said what the sabbath elevator i said we don't have those things in north mississippi what are you talking about because every uh, on that elevator it was scheduled to stop on every floor so somebody would not have to physically push the button and break the sabbath I just got in line from there out. Wherever the longest line was, I said, that's where I'm going. i just go. I learned my lesson. But doesn't it seem to go a little little far here? I mean, here, Jesus had healed somebody. Isn't that great and awesome? Jesus had healed somebody, and the Pharisees, they're more worried about Jesus breaking a man-made law Not a God law, but a man-made law. And because of that, they tag him with the title of sinner. And they say, if he broke that law and he's a sinner, how in the world could he do miracles from God? How could he do signs? They were not very happy with the blind man. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because... He opened your eyes. And he said, well, he is a prophet. He's got to be from God. He's got to be. But the Jews did not believe concerning him and that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. In other words, this first interview was not satisfactory. Let's call another interview. Let's bring his parents in because obviously he was not blind to start with. We'll discredit his testimony And they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. He says, we can attest that he was blind. We can attest that he is our son. We don't know exactly what happened. You ask him. He's of age. He's old enough to tell you. Because, see, they feared. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated, cut off from family, cut off from community, cut off from nation, cut off from... Life. therefore his parents said he is of age ask him verse 24 so they again called the man this is a third interview second with a blind man third interview overall they've got to get to the bottom so they called the man who was blind and said to him give god the glory we know that this man is a sinner he answered and said whether he is a sinner or not i do not know one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't this a great way to enter into conversation with a Pharisee? Instead of trying to argue over all the laws and argue over this and that, they just he just attested to the fact. The fact was this I was blind. But now I see. You can try to discredit that. You can try to take away from that. I was blind. But now I see. When you give testimony of Christ, do you give it with that type of certainty and assurance? Friends, I could tell you this morning, That I was spiritually blind. But now. I see. There was a day in my life where I was lost. A day in my life where. I was going about my own life. And my own desires. And and I was lost. And I was was on a road to hell itself. But God intervened. And brought me salvation. And I can stand before you today. With that same certainty. That same assurance. And I can say to you today. Today. I was blind, but now I see. I know that God has saved me and he has forgiven me and people can argue, they can, they can try to discredit the identity of Christ, but I know him and I know what he's done and I can give testimony. Well, as you can imagine... They were not satisfied with this answer either. Verse 26. Then they said to him again, "What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?" And he answered them, "This is this is awesome here. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Can you I think he's getting frustrated. I've told you, and I've told you, and all I know is that I was blind. And that I was I, I can't tell you all the theological background of this yet, because Jesus has not revealed his his total identity to him yet. But he says, I, I, "I've told you, and you want to keep asking me questions. Why is that? Do you do you want to fall in line now? You want to be a disciple? Is that what's happening?" Then they reviled him and said. You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to him, Wow, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. You claim to be the religious leaders. You claim to be the people who teach us about God. You claim to be the people to instruct us on the work of God himself. And yet you do not understand. And yet he's opened my eyes. Maybe maybe he infers here that God should open their eyes. Verse 31, he continues, Now we know that God does not hear sinners... But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, he hears Him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he cannot do a thing. If I can reason that way, he says, why can't the religious leadership reason that way? And they answered and said to him, "You were completely born in your sins, and are you teaching us?" They cast him out. Do you hear the pride? How would you know? How could you lecture us? We're the religious leadership. We're the ones that establish these laws. How are you speaking? We're following Moses. Or they at least thought they were. They dismissed him again as being born in his sins. Well, Jesus heard that they cast him out. Aren't you proud when Jesus hears that we've been cast out? Aren't you proud that he knows when we've been broken we've been dismissed Jesus hears that he knows so what does he do he seeks after the man and when he had found him he said to him do you believe in the son of God he answered and said who is he Lord that I may believe in him and Jesus said to him you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you Jesus fully opens his identity it's me I'm the son of God. And you've got to love the simplistic confession. He said, Lord, I believe. I believe. And he worshipped him. What a simplistic confession. Lord, I trust you. Absolutely. Remember why John's writing this? About two weeks, we're going to flesh out that scripture a little more, but These are written, that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, having faith, you may have life in his name. The sign was given. Jesus had brought sight to the physically blind. And now, there is belief. Because Jesus is not only powerful enough to bring sight, To the physically blind. But Jesus is powerful enough. To bring vision and sight. To those who are spiritually blind. He opens up his identity. There is belief. And Jesus said for judgment I have come into this world. That those who do not see may see. That those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him. Heard these words and said to him. Are we blind also? Jesus said to them. If you were blind you would have no sin but now you say we see therefore your sin remains get this as we close the blind man he was physically blind he receives spiritual he receives physical sight and then he receives spiritual sight here are the pharisees They can see physically and they claim to be able to see spiritually. Pride has consumed them. They can tell everybody else how to live. And yet they now have seen Christ himself. They've seen his power. They've seen the sign that is given by God. And yet they have chosen to refuse him and that sign because of that, they walked in their spiritual blindness. We have people like that today. They've heard the message of Christ. They've seen the power of Christ. They've seen it demonstrated time and time again. And yet, because of their pride, because they do not truly see their sin, they continue to walk in darkness. What does God want you to do? What does He want me to do? Believe. Have faith. Recognize Him as the light of the world. And receive sight so that we may walk pleasing to Him. I am the light of the world. He's come to give light. Have you accepted Him? Have you given your life to Him? I pray this morning you would do that.